Welcome to Mouthful. I'm Lori Lynn Barker. Mouthful is the podcast about food, culture, and the makers in the world. I know I should be talking about food, but this interview came along and I just had to take it. As I mentioned before, I really love movies. In fact, I just saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the big show at the Alamo Draft House, which I highly suggest you see it there. Tarantino's attention to detail is incredible. The reason that I'm bringing up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that I'm about to interview Patrick Kilpatrick. The era that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is set is when he started acting. In fact, he's been in over 170 films. You may not know the name, but you'll definitely know the face. He is known for playing villains, and he plays really, really, really good villains. In fact, you may know him as the villain in the taco restaurant in The Toxic Avenger. Mouthful is sponsored by CCF Documentation. Let CCF develop your e-learning or instructional video training. From training assessment to course creation and LMS administration, CCF is your one-stop training resource. Check them out at ccfdocumentation.com. Now it's time to meet a real Hollywood bad guy. Patrick Kilpatrick has played the bad guy in over 170 Hollywood productions. Whether you saw him as the psycho and toxic Avenger, the killer in Cagney and Lacey, or the pre-crime cop in Minority Report, Patrick has been playing the bad guy for over 35 years. His new book, Dying for Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot, is now available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. So, Patrick, tell people who you are. Um, well, uh, professionally, I'm a guy who's been either a writer or uh, playing psychopaths and serial killers and maniacs and about 180 films and television shows over the last generation. You know, I've got two sons, 27 and 22, and they're fine young men. Who am I? I'm a guy who came out of Virginia and Connecticut and then went to Manhattan and worked for almost every magazine in New York and then uh, became a playwright uh, briefly, an assistant director and director on Broadway and off-Broadway, and then that took me into acting. And I've been doing that for about 35 years and screenwriting and uh, do a lot of teaching the last 15 years, teaching entertainment in different venues. And uh, I've got my memoir, Dying for a Living, uh, that's out, volume one, and volume two is coming out shortly. Um, Dying for a Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and a Liberty Patriot. So... Um, I don't know. You know, that's uh, asking somebody who they are is like asking Gore Vidal, have you had gotten enough fame? <laughs> well, when you, you started... say it's never enough. When you started out, did you start out to be an actor? No, no. I started out uh, heavily influenced by a lot of great writers um, when I was young. Um, my parents... Uh, my mother had some mental illness issues, and uh, by coming up with a new word or being linguistically adept, um, that was a good way to avoid beatings. So, um, and I read a day, a book a day for years, wow. um, to kind of 
they wouldn't let me watch television. So they, uh, I read a book a day. And so I was heavily influenced by the writers that I read and kind of went around the world in my imagination with the books. Like people like Hunter Thompson and Ken Kesey and Tom Wolfe and Norman Mailer and French writers and um, Moliere and things like that. And so I always wanted to be a writer. So when I got out of college, I went to New York and became a writer and um, uh, did a lot of advertising writing and a lot of journalism for almost every magazine in New York and most of the ad agencies. And uh, it was a great life. But after about 10 years of that, I, I wanted to write a novel. And to save money, I took a sabbatical from Time, Inc., which was kind of the pinnacle of that world where I was a staff person. And uh, to save money, I split a house with a, an actor becoming a huge Broadway director, a guy named John Tillinger. And so I became an assistant director and wrote a play instead of a novel. And then the acting kind of took off. And I'd be asked to join theater companies as the literary manager, the guy who selects plays. Well, the the acting kind of took off, although it's not that different. I had been an athlete through most of my young life, which is pretty performance oriented. So, um, uh, uh, I had a bad car accident at 17 and that caused me to focus on writing for a long time. So, uh, it's, it's always been kind of performance and writing for me. Those are the things. You made your way into acting. Tell people how they would know you from your act. Well, I joke around and I say I've been killed by every leading man <laughs> and a lot of the leading ladies in Hollywood and in outer space. Um, so, uh, you know, I've done about 80 movies, uh, always as the villain, largely, uh, although that's kind of branched out now in independent films. Um, I'm usually eating the scenery and killing large numbers of really despicable people. Um, <laughs> But I, it's it's great turf for an actor. Uh, I ha I don't know why I had an energy that lent itself to that. I was thinking after I wrote the book, you know, which part of the reason I wrote the book, you know, the uh, book has like many legs it stands on. Like uh, people will want would hopefully want to read it because of the Hollywood insider stuff and craft of acting and writing and. But also, one of the things was to examine how I ended up playing villains all the time, beyond the usual institutional casting, which happens to everybody in Hollywood. But then I realized that in first grade, my elementary school first grade class did a play, and they made me the villain <laughs> when I was uh, in first grade. That's funny. So, Whatever that energy was, I think it was an exuberance, an energy, uh, a look. You know, I was six foot two and I was um, 220 pounds and very physical and mischievous and, you know, I had a big grin or whatever. And so um, I think I fit into that a lot. And um, Hollywood's the kind of thing, if you do a good job, they keep giving you the same kind of thing. You know, recently, Rutger Hauer passed away. Mm -hmm. And Rutger Hauer started out a leading man. I remember uh, him from Lady in, Hawk. Yeah, and he he broke in and became a star with uh, Soldier of Orange, which mm -hmm. was the biggest film in the history of Holland. And he was a 
you know, a classic leading man. But then he did such a good job on The Hitcher and in Blade Runner that mm-hmm. he had a difficult time getting out of <laughs> right. uh, the villain stuff. Uh, towards the end of his life, he started doing Wizards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I do remember that. But, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, the, you get pigeonholed and you kind of revel in that. Uh, particularly if you want to keep working, which I certainly did. You know, I had a family and uh, kids who needed to go to schools and everything else. So you, just, uh, I never would say no much because you know you you gotta. The game becomes how do I make this interesting and different from anything I've ever done before, and then it provides that. So uh, I find playing uh, the good guys uh, generally a lot easier. It takes energy to be a psychopath. So your audience would know me from going to war with every leading man on the planet. <laughs> and uh, even Free Willy, I did uh, battle with the largest mammal on Earth. <laughs> so uh, so when people approach you on the street, do they approach you as like, ooh, boo, you're a bad guy? Or do they're like, hey, I know you? Or how are they? how do they treat you on the street? No, no, they really, you know, uh, once, you know, a couple times maybe I was wondering the value of what I do, but I really realized I was told by a bunch of firemen and policemen at one time that, you know, they have very difficult jobs and they like to come home and they like to lose themselves in something. And so I, I really saw the value. First of all, you can't have drama without the antagonist. Right. And will will be the drama that that doesn't give the villain or the the antagonist their due. I have seen the value of that. And that goes back to Shakespeare. You know, I think there's a little bit of this in everybody and people revel in it and they have fun and they're aroused by it. And uh, the reaction from fans is really a great one because it means you're touching somebody. And uh, some of it can be, you know, they'll come up behind you and a parking lot and whisper lines that you said (laughs) which can be a little weird but um it's all good it's all good one of the strangest things is when you meet like young men or young women who are maybe their 30s now um but they saw these movies some of them when they were very young and so in my time frankenstein and the mummy were the boogeymen uh, cinematically so but because these people have seen these movies so young you're literally part of their nightmare fantasy and that's a, an interesting <laughs> phenomenon and they and they have a, a, a uh, takes them a few minutes to separate what was part of the imagination landscape to here's the reality of this person who's standing in front of me And that's kind of remarkable. I found it interesting, really interesting. You're listening to Mouthful, and I'm Lori Lynn Barker. You can look for Patrick's book on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. If you would like an autographed copy of the book, you can visit his website at PatrickKilpatrick.com. Continuing with the interview, Patrick talks about how his dad inspired him to participate in organizations supporting wounded veterans. For years, he has contributed his celebrity to raise awareness and money to support our vets, even contributing proceeds from his new book to Disabled Veterans of America. You do a lot of work with the Wounded Veteran Organizations. Why is that so important to you? Well, you know, my dad was a World War II um, 
hero. Um, I would certainly call him a hero. He got the silver star on the Purple Heart. And I was born in 1949 and, of course, reared on the post-war period. And so I was very, as I talk about the book, I was very steeped in the, the sort of patriotic values of America and World War II. And I, my father was probably the finest man I've ever met. And he was an underwater demolition team guy, which is the precursor to the Navy SEALs, which, by the way, I'm, I'm hoping we finally have gotten the financing for a movie about that period, which I wrote called Naked Warriors. But, um, you know, unlike the modern-day Navy SEALs, these were young boys swimming to war in khaki shorts to blow up obstacles so the Marines could then come in on the islands and invade. And um, so I, immense respect and connection to my father and his background. He spent his whole young manhood uh, from about 18 to 24 as a warrior for this country. And so I've always been very steeped and um, predisposed to the military and wounded warriors in particular. And then I got to Hollywood and, you know, of course, Hollywood's origins, at least beginning uh, with the Vietnam War, is protest against American involvement in uh, overseas adventures and things like that. It really goes back to more of the 30s. But I found that really striking, the um, the sort of intellectual void about patriotism and the American experience in World War II and Korea and then into the Vietnam War. So Early on, I got into it. I mean, I literally now, fortunately, the culture has changed a bit. And you have people like Mark Wahlberg and uh, John Voight and uh, Vince Vaughn. And, and uh, at least there's lip service being given to our wounded warriors. Um, I just have such immense respect for them and their level of courage and their struggle, uh, what they have to do um, every day with these the wounds, which are utterly breathless. I mean, I'm not a lightweight, but if you go to a hospital like the Brook Army Medical Center and stuff, the, the wounds will make you breathless uh, with this severity. And um, so I try to do whatever I can. Started with the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes, which became Wounded Warriors, the Wounded Warrior Project. Um, and I, for some years, hosted a... I guess you'd call it a golf tournament with shotguns. It was a sporting clays tournament uh, to raise money for wounded warriors. And, um, you know, the thing about celebrity, any kind of celebrity, you want to help out in any way you can. I, I, I don't exclusively do wounded warrior charities. I've done everything from animal rights to children's things. You know, wherever you can, you're asked to help out, I try to. So that's basically it. And does part of the proceeds from your book go back into... Charity? Yes, I was asked. Um, I was asked to become a centennial ambassador for an organization that's 100 years old called Disabled Veterans of America (DVA). A very solid organization that's been serving wounded warriors for a long time. So, a, a portion of the proceeds to the book go back to uh, that organization. Happy to do it. You're going to be in Denver on August 28th. 
at the tattered cover signing your book. Can people yes. come in? Do people have to bring their own book? Do, are you they're selling your book? What can they expect when they come to see you? Uh, well, they can expect that I'll turn over a table. And, uh, you know, I, You'll miss um, people. <laughs> the be there. I mean, I, I'm very candid about Hollywood and uh, um, ex- these things. We try to have a lot of fun, so there'll be. I'll answer any question about Hollywood, born from 35 years of working with just about everybody, and and uh, sometimes audiences will point their finger in the book, and we'll do a, a reading from that really quickly, and. Uh, I teach entertainment, so a lot of times there's people who want to know how to get into the business, how to thrive in it. Um, we address some of that, and uh, we there are books there, and they'll get an autographed copy of the book once they purchase it from the store, of course. But as we say, they are providing some money for DVA as well. But, you know, for me, it's a show, and it's fun, and... Uh, really try to have people have a really good time. I think it's an entertaining book, and it's a quick read, and a lot of um, <laughs> ribald stories about everybody's favorite actors and production people, from Spielberg to Jessica Alba to Pam Greer. I think Pam lives in uh, Denver. She does. Uh, yeah, Pam. I, I've done movies with her, and... Um, you know, it's everything from the salacious. I dated Pam for a, a good bit of time, and to some in-depth craft things that people might find interesting. Well, tell me one more time the name of the book. It's called "Dying for Living: Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot." This is Volume One. So you'll be at the Tattered Cover at seven o'clock on the Sixteenth Street Mall. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, seven o'clock and ready to reveal the salacious underbelly of Hollywood. Don't you just feel smarter when you're listening to this? I know I do. The free stuff on this site is really, really good. But you'll also love the stuff that comes with your premium membership. Just $4.99 a month because we want it to be accessible to everyone. And let's face it, we spend way more than that on a coffee. And it hardly helps you have a fabulous life like we do. Join today at ladieschitchatclub.com. That's ladieschitchatclub.com. We're going to make your life better. So we really appreciate the help. Oh, and there are no commercial breaks. Let's get back to what we we're doing now. Yeah, it's interesting. Pam Gurr does live here, and you'll be walking down the street, and there she is. And I happen to be a knitter, and her sister used to own a knitting store that I went to. So Pam's very famous. She's in a great, great lady yeah. and a great, talented actress. And uh, I talk about her in the book uh, a good deal. And um, we did a movie called Class of 1999 together and mightily attracted to each other. And, <laughs> I have a bizarre question to ask you. Did you see Once Upon a sure. Time in Hollywood? I did, yeah, yeah. What would you think of it? I thought it was a lot of fun, and it was interesting how they took such a, uh, Quentin Tarantino took such a horrific act and almost made it a feel-good fable. Uh, I, I Let's see, I, I thought a lot of things. I thought the brouhaha about Bruce Lee is interesting. I thought parts of it were really fun. I thought Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio were wonderful. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a really great, a really fun movie. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing saying it's a really fun movie right. about the Manson tragedy. Right. Um, but it is a fable, 
and it's a really, really good time look at Hollywood of that period. And that's what um, I really so enjoyed I, about it was that yeah, he I paid would, would, such I, detail, such attention to detail in that movie. I was blown away. Well, you know, uh, it's really interesting. To, there are some aspects of it that were my life because, you know, the whole story is driven by the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio's um, is is in the villain mode mm-hmm. and is playing villains on every television show. <laughs> that's very much been part of my life at, at, at times. So um, I, I recommend it highly. I thought it was a really good film. Oh, I wanted to just add that I'm going from Livingston this Saturday where I have a signing. Mm-hmm. And then on the 24th, uh, I have one at Aspen um, okay. at Explorer Bookstore, um, which is at 530. Um, so I think your show will run before that one. Yeah, too. It'll so wear- we'll- uh, I call this the Great Plains, uh, Patrick <laughs> Kilpatrick, Great Plains and, and tour. Uh, Rocky Mountain Fly Fishing and Book Signing Tour. You know, I, are you familiar with mutton busting? Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm actually a yeah. native of Colorado, so. <laughs> well, there you go. I used to have a, you know, I, part of my trip to Telluride, I used to have some land there. Okay. I know I'm going to be heart sick that I don't have that land anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, oh, my God. it's uh, I love Colorado. I've often thought of moving here. In Santa Fe, New Mexico, and in the southern part of Colorado right now, there's a huge movie business going on. You can't go to Santa Fe without running into somebody you know, and it looks like a mini Hollywood down there. There's actors I and... I did Western with Tom Selleck there. Oh, you did? Which one? Last Stand at Sabre River. I think I saw Which was that uh, the first film adaptation of... Uh, a. A Louis L'Amour novel. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I tell you, an Elmore Leonard. It oh, okay. An Elmore Leonard mm-hmm. uh, Western. It's a really fine Western. It had Susie Amos, who's uh, James Cameron's wife, mm-hmm. um, in it. Uh, it was a good film. Really yeah, good. It's... Westerns are so much fun. Well, oh, God, they're so fun to do. <laughs> well, it's really interesting, like I said, to go down to Santa Fe. They've actually built studios down there now. Just right, they're like on the outskirts, and they're filming the Science Channel, and they're doing all this stuff down there. You know why that is. It's cheap. You? It's cheap down it's there. It's cheap, but mm-hmm. it's because New Mexico has a very visionary uh, film incentive program. Mm-hmm. You can get up to $15 million, 100% of your budget, if you jump through the hoops for mm-hmm. them. So that's why all the, all those companies are there. That's why Westerns get made all the time. And, right. You know, like 310 to Yuma and stuff like that, because there's a New Mexico is very smart about the film incentives. Well, the Power um, Rangers, some of the Power Rangers was movie was filmed down there. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. It doesn't have to be a Western. Right. You can go indoors and, you know, 300 was shot in one building in, in mm-hmm. Montreal. Right. So with computer animation. And New Mexico loves video games, too. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, they do a lot of work, yeah. That was Patrick Kill, Patrick, and I'd like to thank him for coming on Mouthful. Look for his book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Get more information about his upcoming book tour on patrickkillpatrick.com. Mouthful is brought to you by CCF Documentation. Are you looking to get your new employees trained quicker and with better consistency? Is your technical documentation a mess? Then CCF Documentation is the place for you. 
Specializing in aligning your technical documentation and employee training, CCF is at the forefront of providing effective and measurable training outcomes. Customized to your company culture at a price that will fit your budget. Whether you are looking to create a company-wide e-learning training program or you want to create training content for your customers, CCF Documentation has a solution you need. Contact CCF at ccfdocumentation.com. Reach out. I appreciate you. Outside the box. Let's unpack this. These are just a few phrases and words that the ladies of the Ladies Chit Chat Club show really despise. Want to hear more? Look for this episode on ladieschitchatclub.com. If you would like to be a guest on Mouthful, please contact me at mouthfulthepodcast at gmail.com and look for me on all social media platforms. With Mouthful, I'm Lori Lynn Barker, and as always, stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs>